Matthew chapter 7. Amen. And we'll begin at verse number 1. Matthew chapter 7 and uh, verse number 1. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I, uh, I went back before the Lord this week. I'm like, Father, you know, I, uh, what's most important for me is that anytime I have an opportunity to stand in front of your people to share with them, you know, what you would want me to share with them. And, and I know that for some time now, I, I would say the better part probably of three years, the Lord's been dealing with me personally on this subject. And um, I feel like I'm finally at a place to where I can uh, talk to other folks about it. And so we're going to continue tonight uh, looking at uh, the subject that faith will flourish in a, in a merciful heart. Let me get us a background up there. I've been trying to do a little better with that. Praise God. It's hard to see that background. It's better than black, I guess. Amen. Faith will flourish in a merciful heart. I started out under the title, Faith Will Flourish in a Forgiving Heart, and the Lord spoke to me, said I need to expand the focus to, to not just include forgiveness, because as we learned last week, that forgiveness um, it, you know, is an expression of mercy. Uh, when, when you forgive someone, you are expressing mercy to them. So we could almost say that forgiveness is like a subset of, uh, of, of the overarching truth of being merciful in our heart. So also faith will flourish in a forgiving heart, and then faith will flourish in a non-critical and a non-judgmental heart. Now, I put this in my notes. There, there may be more enjoyable topics uh, to study, <laughs> uh, certainly ones that I enjoy uh, studying and, and, and speaking on. Um, but I really do believe the Holy Spirit's breathing on this right now, and uh, so I don't know then that there's a more important subject for us uh, to be spending uh, some Wednesday nights together, studying together. Amen. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll begin at verse number 1. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And one of the things that I've learned in my life is that if you'll get with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and let them help you get some planks out of your eyes, you'll approach brothers and sisters who have specks in theirs with a whole lot different attitude and humility and you know um if you've uh, if you've ever tried to lose a few pounds um amen then you can sympathize sympathize with the rest of us who have also tried to lose uh, a few pounds in other words the, the idea is that when we engage in the process of of growing and learning and developing um ourselves individually first it puts us in a better position then to minister to and to serve others who may be struggling with the same thing um, along the way. Now, if I could connect a couple of things together that we've already talked about, but I want to make sure that, um, that we're on the same page tonight. When we talk about a, a forgiving, the, the Bible talks about our forgiving someone a debt. And he's not just talking about like if somebody owes you $5, 
when someone wrongs you, they become indebted to you. They become obligated to you to make it right. And so forgiveness is when we let go of that debt from ourselves. The literal translation of let go from oneself. So to forgive means that we're not going to make them pay, even if they owe us an apology. Or as we said last week, um, not all the debts that we owe uh, or are owed uh, can be even be measured in dollar figures because there are things that that we you know have um, you know had done to us that no amount of money can could ever uh, pay it back. But we can still be free from that if if we choose to forgive. Now remember, the devil is trying to use all of these things against us for his advantage, and we're going to develop that part of this a little bit more and deeper um, tonight, but remember when someone becomes obligated to you to make something right to you because they've wronged you, then what that in legal terms is referred to is that you now have a judgment against them. And so the devil is trying to manipulate these things because ultimately he's wanting for you and me to take a position of judgment against or over another person. Why is that? Well, because the way you set yourself up to be judged is when you judge other people. And so notice what Jesus says here. Let's, let's go back to it. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So we look at these verses, and there are several others. Some we've already looked at, some we will look at in the days ahead. But the picture that we see developing here is is pretty clear. And the picture is this. God will deal with you the way you deal with other people. He allows you and me to set the standard. That's what that word measure, what measure you meet. He's talking about a standard, a bowl. You know, if you use a little bowl, if you use a big bowl, right? It's the standard that, that you set, the measure that, that you set. He, he lets you determine that for your own life by the way you show forgiveness or judgment or mercy or condemnation to other people. So think about um, it in this way, right? If we refuse to forgive, we should not expect to be forgiven, right? That's, that's, that's the way Father looks at it, and how He looks at it is how we need to understand it. If, if we refuse to forgive, then we should not expect to be forgiven. If we have little to no mercy on others, we should not expect to be shown mercy by others. If we are critical and judgmental of others, we should not expect to be treated any differently from the way that we treat them. Now, let's nail down, and I, I realize that you know we've kind of mentioned this, but we haven't really established um, from the Word of God what it means to actually judge. Okay, and I know sometimes in in my own life, okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about me a lot tonight. All right, and if you can relate to to what the Lord's been dealing with me about, then you benefit from it. And if it doesn't apply to you, then um, amen, then it doesn't, okay, so uh, I'm not, in other words, I'm not here, and, and forgive me if it's, if it's coming across that way, I'm not here to judge anybody for judging, you understand what I'm saying, that's not, that's not the tone that I'm wanting to, uh, to set with this uh, at all, please, at all, 
Um, But to judge means to form and express a negative opinion about another person. To form and express a negative opinion about another person. Now, where I was going with that, when I said I was going to speak for me, um, there's been a lot of times in my life where I've used this phrase, I'm not judging, but. (laughs) And so right after I said I'm not judging, but, I expressed an opinion that I had formed about another person that was negative. And I was trying to cancel out my judgment by confessing that I wasn't judging, but you can't call things that be not as though they were, and that doesn't apply there, okay? All right. So to judge means to form and express a negative opinion about another person. I think one of the reasons why the devil is able to trick a lot of God's people into judging other folks is because we think judging is more than that. We think to, to judge somebody it means something heavier than that, 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 that it's a heavier issue, that it's, you know, maybe involves some four-letter words or, you know, a whole bunch of anger. And, you know, anger, by the way, and we, we'll look at this in the days ahead as well. Anger is a sure sign that you're judging somebody. That's why the Bible says don't let the sun go down on that stuff, right? You don't, you don't need to let that simmer um, in your heart. But when he says don't judge, He's saying, do not form and express a negative opinion about another person. So that is um, what it means uh, to judge. And Jesus, uh, he specifically uh, has told us, and we see it in other places throughout uh, the Word of God, specifically the New Testament, where we are warned against, told not to judge, and again, looking at all these verses together, uh, the way we choose to judge other people is the same judgment that we will uh, set ourselves up for, okay? Now, <clears throat> let's go back here, because I want you to see something, as only Jesus can, um, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, look at this, and I, I spent... Um, some time here meditating on that verse 3 today. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Now, I'll tell you what has happened to me in the past is I've kind of rushed through that part to get to the last part. But do not consider the plank in your own eye. Let Let me just tell you, and I feel compelled to do this, even though I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this right now, Judging of any kind, you know, forming negative opinions and expressing them about other people, none of it's good. Let me just tell you, you don't want to do it, all right? You absolutely don't want to do it. But let me tell you what you really, really absolutely do not want to do because the the absolute worst kind of judging that we find in in the Scriptures is when we judge somebody else for something we've done ourselves. Man, that's one right there. I mean, read James, what James, the Holy Spirit through James has to say about that, okay? Um, and then also the other one is, is when we judge people in leadership. Man, that's, that, that one right there. Um, amen. So just, just hear me, please, okay? I'm trying to help you. When we judge people in leadership, 
Father God does not like judging of any kind, but He especially does not like it when you judge somebody else for something you've done yourself, and He really, really doesn't like it when we judge leadership. Now listen, watch, watch this. Including when people judge God. It's getting quiet, but I understand that. that, that you realize that, that, that was one of the things Job was guilty of. Job judged God, right? And, you know, was demanding an audience with God until God gave him one. Then he was like, oh, no, 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 no. you know, then, you know, um, you know, God shows up and says, you wanted to see me, you know, and he's like, well, oh, no, 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 no. you know, um, but that was one of the uh, false accusations, if you will, that he made against God. But let's look at this first part. It says, because it's a question, it's a question, and he, he's He's, let's not just jump to the plank in your own eye where Jesus is obviously being anointedly clever here. But he says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? He's, he's in essence telling us what judging is. Okay, But he's also asking us a question that has really helped me in, in this area. In other words, the question is, why, why focus on um, some issue or some problem or some mistake or some error or some fault in another person? That's what the speck in, in the brother's eye is. Jesus is saying, why do you look at it? Okay? Why do you look at it? All right? So that word look means to focus on. Pay attention to, here's the worst one, right? Call attention to. You ever had anybody call attention to some problem in your life that you would rather them just ignore, right? You know, my favorite one is, is, is people that are, are you know, um, love to, you know, comment on where I am in my waistline. You know what I'm People, you know, friends of our family that we don't see in a long time, you know, it's like, well, it's like you're putting some weight back on there, Mark. You know, it's like, well, I appreciate the confidence, you know. Amen. You know, so, amen. It's like, thank you for calling attention to it. Yeah. You know, I was trying to wear this big shirt and not tuck it in so nobody would notice. But anyway, that's fine that you, you know. But think about it for a minute. Why, why do we focus on the, the faults and the, um, I, I kind of did it this way. Let me... Just try to give us all a better understanding of what he's talking about. Why do you look for problems, faults, issues, errors, mistakes, and inconsistencies in the lives of other people? And why do we feel compelled to point them out? I, I uh, will not give you the whole uh, teaching right now, but I talk a lot especially at the foundry, I, I mention it here quite frequently, that there is a negative force present in the world that's trying to pull us all away from God and pull us all away from God's best. I call it resistance. Um, you didn't wake up in a neutral world. You woke up in a hostile world. Um, and there's different ways that I try to help people understand that and connect with that. If it was a neutral world, it would be just as easy to read your Bible as it would be to watch um, television. If it, was, if it was a neutral world, a compliment would carry the same weight as a criticism. But we all know that one person can tell you the shirt looks nice and five people can, I mean, one person can tell you the shirt, five people can tell you the shirt looks nice, one person can tell you the shirt looks ugly on you, 
And that one criticism will override the compliment. We just, I could go on and on and on with these things. Um, because, again, there's a, there's a, it, demonic forces are very real. And, and they're at work in the world. And if, and if we do nothing, um, they will influence us and, and, and sway us. And so when we talk about, like Jesus asking us, think about it. Why, why do we feel compelled to focus on, um, pay attention to, even call attention to some problem, some error, some fault, some inconsistency, some issue, some problem in another person's life? Well, there could be all kinds of answers to that question. Um, I know in, in my own life, and I think this is, is common um, when we're not confident in who we are and, and in, what, in what we're doing for God and, and in um, you know, what he's assigned to us, we, we look for other people to compare ourselves to to feel better about ourselves. In other words, we, we try to find somebody that may be struggling in areas that we're good at and focus on that and call attention to that and pay attention to that you know, so that we can kind of pat ourselves on the back. Amen or oh me, but I think that's, at least that's been an issue uh, in my own life uh, in the past. It's, I'd rather talk about you, but I'm going to talk about me tonight. Amen. Um, and, but then I think just the bottom line of it is we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, there are very, I think in the same way that there are demonic spirits that try to get people addicted to heroin, there are demonic spirits that try to get people addicted to pornography, there are demonic spirits that try to get people involved in other sexual sins, I believe there are demonic spirits that that try to pressure and influence and manipulate God's people to be in judgment of other people. In other words, I believe there's, it's, it's spiritual warfare. Amen. All right, amen. I'm just, again, we're here to help each other tonight, all right? So... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to it. Why do we look for problems, faults, issues, errors, mistakes, and inconsistencies in the lives of others? Why do we feel compelled to point these out? All the while refusing to consider our own problems, faults, issues, errors, mistakes, and inconsistencies. See, I think, I think one has to do with the other. Um, I said it kind of tongue-in-cheek while ago. I'd rather talk about you than me, you know. Um, when Jesus comes to that woman at the well and he's trying not to judge her, he's trying to save her, right? He's, try, he's trying to, to help her. Um, and, you know, he says, woman, if you knew who's talking to you right now, you would ask me for water and I'd give you water to drink. You'd never thirst again if you knew the gift of God. And she's like, well, our fathers say in this mountain. She's, she kept trying to distract him and talk about something else because, you know, he's truth and the spirit of God on him. And no doubt she, he was making her probably pretty uncomfortable because of, of the sin that, that was in her life and, and things of this nature. And so, again, maybe it's just for me, but I know that's, that's really helped me to just simply ask the same question to myself that Jesus asked. You know, why, why do I, you know, feel compelled to focus on, pay attention to, call attention to the speck in someone else's eye? Now, one question that we've kind of halfway answered, but let's just nail it down from what Jesus said to us right here. Because I think, again, talking about me tonight, I have excused being judgmental in the past because there was a legitimate problem. In other words, that sister's got issues. And anybody's got half a brain can see it. You know, this is, you understand, in other words, it, it, 
I guess the simple question is, is it judging if it's true? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, you know, well, I mean, the Bible says right here, I can tell you chapter and verse, they're wrong. You know, so, okay, yeah. You know, notice Jesus conceded the fact that the man had a speck. Jesus didn't say, why are you saying that man's got a speck when he ain't got a speck? Why are you saying that man's got a fault when he don't have a fault? Why are you judging that man for having an issue or a problem or inconsistency in his life when he clearly doesn't have one? No, the, the guy's got the speck. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that he's got a problem. So this verse and obviously others, um, is it still judging if there is an obvious or legitimate problem? Um, and the answer is yes. Yes. Again, Jesus asked, why are we focusing on somebody else's problem issue, paying attention to it or calling attention to it? Now, I want you to go with me to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter 4. Amen. Appreciate you being here. (laughs) I always appreciate you being here, but when it's time to study this kind of stuff, I am even more thankful. Amen. I am even more thankful. Now, I've made a specific statement for years. Some of you around here have heard me say this statement many times. And here's the statement. Satan cannot mess up your life without your cooperation. The Bible says he is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He can't just devour anybody that he chooses to devour. He has to have an opening. He has to have access. And we see that one of the number one ways that he gains access to a person's life is by deceiving that person into giving him place, into giving him access. And so that's what we see here in Ephesians 4. Let's begin at um, verse number 25. He says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So notice here he's talking about um, things that we can do that would give the devil place in our lives or give, us, give him access to our lives. Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. I can't wait to teach on these things in the days ahead, but on Sundays. But, but Father, we live, in a, we live in a world that's focused on bread. Father is always focused on seed. Notice, he didn't say, let him work with his hands so he have something to eat. He said, no, let him work with his hands, get some money, so he'll have something to give. So he'll have some seed. Remember, he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. It's always seed first. Always seed first. See, Father's seed-minded. We're bread-minded. We've got to become seed-minded. Amen. All right, I, hey, let's, let's stay on tonight's sermon. We've got to finish this one. All right. So let no corrupt um, word come out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ 
forgave you. Amen. So I'm not going to try to take the time tonight to, to work through each one of those verses. Uh, we don't really see words like judge and, and that sort of thing in here, but certainly the forgiveness aspect is, is uh, talked about here. The anger aspect is, um, is talked about here. The forgiveness uh, clearly is, is mentioned there in verse 32. I want to read this same passage to you from the message translation, okay? So um, I put it up on the screen. What this adds up to then is this. No more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other, after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. Don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. And remember what revenge is. Revenge is when you're going to make somebody pay. You know, they owe you, and you're going to make them pay. My friend, that's not your place. That's not your place. God is a just God. He's a merciful God. But he is also, he said, vengeance is mine. If you'll, if you'll forgive and trust God, he will take care of them, not to destroy them. He'll try to redeem them. He'll try to help them and bless them and correct them. But he'll also take care of you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right, let's keep going here. Um, verse 27. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break His heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for Himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting backbiting, profane talk. Now, backbiting is also an offshoot of judging because this is when you form a negative opinion, you form and express a negative opinion about another person and that, more times than not, never happens to that person's face. It happens where? Behind their back, right? It happens uh, where they're not hearing or listening to what's being said. Um, be gentle with one another, sensitive Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. So again, Satan can't mess up your life without your cooperation. Now here's the challenge, and I've got a few more minutes. If You, can, you got a few more minutes? All right, here's, here's the challenge, okay? The more we grow in the truth, the harder it becomes for the devil to trick us into cooperating with him. You know, I, I look back on, you know, when I was younger and, you know, zealous and meaning well, but man, it was, I mean, the devil could just, I mean, he could hang a piece of religious bacon out in front of me and I would go for it every time. I mean, just, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just, you know, I, I tell people my, my, uh, my bondage was religion. And some people laugh at that, you know, especially somebody struggling with heroin addiction until I remind them that Jesus had more success ministering to dead people than he did religiously bound people. And that's... Because, uh, see, the problem, with, the problem with being religiously minded and religiously bound is you think you're right and everybody else is wrong. Okay? But, see, the more we grow and the more we learn and, and, and the more we understand that our righteousness is based upon what Jesus has done for us, not what we do for him, and, and, and as this truth begins to de develop and grow and become established in our hearts, it becomes more and more difficult for the devil to trick us into cooperating with him. 
See, we, we learn from the devil's efforts against Jesus. Did he try the same exact thing against Jesus three times in a row? No. He tried one approach. That didn't work. So then it was kind of like the devil's like, oh, so we're going to quote Scripture, are we? All right, so now, the, so now the devil's quoting Scripture to Jesus. He tries a different approach and then another approach. So um, in, in our case, and let me, let me just read it from the notes. We learn from the devil's efforts against Jesus and from our own experiences that when one angle of attack fails, or in our case, no longer works, the devil will shift his approach and comes at us a different way. Amen or oh me. You see, if he can steal the word from you, he'll steal it from you. But if he can't steal it from you, he doesn't just take his toys and go home. If he can't steal it from you, then he's going to shift his approach. He's going to try to pressure you into backing down. If he can't pressure you into backing down, what did Jesus tell us? He's then going to try a completely different approach, and he's just going to try to sow other things in your heart that will gradually grow up around the Word and choke it out. So here we see three distinct ways that the devil, you know, tries things against us, shifting his strategy um, each and every time. Still, pressure, choke, they all represent different devices or wiles the devil tries against us. So all of his strategies are designed towards tricking us into giving him place in our lives. They are designed towards tricking us into letting our guard down and allowing something in our lives he can use against us. Thoughts, attitudes, emotions, words, actions are all the above, if he can, all right? So, <clears throat> the devil, I've never, I've never said these words this way before, but I really felt like the Holy Spirit um, wanted me to say it this way, okay? So, the devil is trying to trick you into disqualifying yourself, all right? G give me just a couple of minutes, we'll finish this section, and, and we'll call it a night, okay? But let's, let's think about this and talk about this for a moment. The devil is trying to trick you into disqualifying yourself. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, Colossians 1 and 12, for example, in the New King James Version, it says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Um, a qualified partaker means qualified to have an equal share in something. Okay? All right. Let me give you one from the Passion Translation, Romans 8 and 17. And since we are His true children, we qualify to share all His treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God Himself, and since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that He is and all that He has. We will experience being co-glorified with Him, provided we accept His sufferings as our own. Wow, qualified. Right? But now listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9 and 27. But I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. How about this one, Colossians 2.18 from the New King James Version. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which... He is not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. We could talk a lot about that. Let me just focus on cheat you of your reward. Multiple translations have it literally, let no one disqualify you from your prize. Let no one disqualify you from your prize. Paul develops this further when he talks about 
if we're going to compete for the prize, we have to compete according to the rules. You know, if, if, if someone, and we see this sometimes in athletics where people get caught cheating, and then they have all these wins vacated and all, you know, it's a big stink. And anyway, I'm not going to start calling names of, of people. you probably familiar with several of those yourself, right? But Paul makes the, the, the comparison, though. He says, look, if we're going to compete for the prize that belongs to us, we've got to understand the rules, if you will. For instance, James says it this way, that when you ask of God, ask without any doubting in your heart, for the one who doubts should not suppose that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. See, what's happened here? Doubt has disqualified them. God qualified us, but our own actions, our own choices have disqualified us. All right? Last passage of the evening, Psalm 1. Psalm number 1, okay? I'm almost through my introduction. Okay, so it's okay, praise God. Psalm number 1. Amen. It's a beautiful psalm. It says, blessed is the man. Come on now. Blessed is the woe man. Amen. Blessed is the man, the woman, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. For us, New Testament, it would be in his word, in his commands, love commands, we meditate day and night. Notice what this man's life will be like. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, we have a, a problem in the body of Christ today, and that is that people tend to take one part of a passage of Scripture and, and quote-unquote claim it while ignoring the qualifiers for that, for that passage of Scripture. For instance, one, one of the more... Uh, infamous ones uh, that it's done this way is people have this tendency to say well you know all things work together you know they just kind of throw that out there well the context of that is people who have prayed in the holy spirit in unknown tongues with groanings that can't be uttered in articulate speech when they don't know how to pray as they ought they've allowed the holy spirit to groan and 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 utter in a heavenly language uh, a prayer to, to directly to god uh, in agreement with the will of god for that situation see all of those things are preceding that and then it says once that's happened and we know all things work together for the good of those who are called according to the to his purpose who love god so there's another qualifier right getting quiet up here that's all right so let's let's look at this verse and this will set us up for where we'll be next week right this passage paints an awesome picture of the life god created us to live um but now remember before we get to verse three and i've kind of left it isolated on the screen you know we want to be like that tree planted by the rivers of water we want to bring forth our fruit and be fruitful in 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 its season um, we don't want our leaf to wither. We want to be strong and prosperous and productive and fruitful and, and whatever we do, prospering and just go on and on with this, right? It's, a, it's an awesome picture of the life God created us to live. But what about people who do live by the counsel of ungodly men? What, what about people who do follow the paths of a sinful life. Remember how this verse started. Blessed is the man, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. 
See, that's a qualifier. You can't walk in the counsel of the ungodly and whatever you touch prosper. You, you, you can't stand in the path of sinner. It, it means follow the path of a sinful life is one way we could translate that, right? You can't follow the path of a sinful life and, and your leaf not wither and you continue to bear fruit even, even, even in times of seasons of drought and, 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 and economic downturn, right? Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So would it be reasonable for one who follows the path of a sinful life to expect everything they touch to prosper? No, it would not be reasonable. So do you see what we mean then by the devil's trying to trick us into disqualifying ourselves? All right? So of these three, let me just put them up here. I'll just put them all instead of mentioning them all. Of these three, live by the counsel of ungodly men, follow the paths of a sinful life, sit in the seat of the scornful. I want you to consider that, that all three of these are three different devices, strategies, schemes, efforts on the devil's part, different approaches, different angles that he takes. He's just looking for one that will work, man. He's throwing as much against the wall as he can throw against the wall to see if anything sticks. And it's number three. See, I... <laughs> Again, so many of God's people, man, we ain't listening to the ungodly folks. We, we listen to you, God. We're not going to go down the path of a sinful life. Absolutely not, right? So the devil says, okay, you're not going to listen to the ungodly people and do what they say. You're not going to follow the, 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 the path of a sinful life. Let me see then if I can get you to disqualify yourself by getting you to sit in the seat of the scornful. What is the seat of the scornful? You're probably already ahead of me, aren't you? <laughs> It's a seat of judgment and contempt for others. It's a seat of judgment and contempt for others. Amen. I'm out of time. Stand with me. Praise God. Let me, let me say this, and then I'm going to, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm going to run for my truck. No, I'm kidding. I'm not either. All right. But listen to me, please. All right. Psalm number 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 is why this old boy doesn't listen. Why this young, energetic man of God, amen. It, it, it's, it's why I don't listen to conservative talk radio anymore. It's why I don't listen to Fox News anymore. Amen. It's why I participate very little on social media. Now, you may be completely different hardwired from me and all other stuff, but I can't listen to that stuff and not start forming negative opinions and expressing them about other people. I, you, you may be a bigger person than me, stronger person than me, or whatever, okay? I can't listen to folks talk about the Democrats and the Republicans, whatever side of this you're on, right? Because there's plenty of hate speech to go both directions, okay? Whoever's in office, you know, you got everybody attacking everybody and all sort of stuff. And then, and then you've got all the clever talking heads that are going to see how articulate they can be in demolishing the person that... I, I do not agree with President Biden's politics, but, but my, my Jesus didn't say, don't judge him unless you disagree with his politics. See, 
Now, remember, the devil is behind this. That's what you've got to understand. There have never been more opportunities, more options for us to form and express negative opinions about other people than in the day and age in which we live right now, especially given the advent of social media. You see why I'm going to ask you to bow your head? I'm going to run for my truck here in a minute. No, I'm just kidding. I'm telling you, it is, a, it is a device that the devil is using against God's people to lure us and trick us and draw us into the seat of the scornful. Contempt is when... i got to finish. Amen. Contempt is when... It means scorn. Scorn and contempt... And I got all kind of verses that talk about contempt. But the idea is when you think less of someone because of something they believe, say, or do. It's when you think less of someone because of something they believe, say, or do. See, what we don't realize is when we start thinking less of somebody because of what they thought, said, or did, we think that you know, we're pushing them down. But what you don't understand is you're actually elevating yourself in a position of pride and judgment over them does the bible say judge those who have the rule over you is that what it says it says first of all pray for those who have the rule over you i wonder how few of us would be in this room tonight even alive much less born again if the early church had have judged saul instead of prayed for him see you there's a lot of folks in this room, you can trace your spiritual heritage all the way back to a man who, with reckless abandon, hazarded his life unto death for many, many years. And because he was willing to do it, you're born again now. Because somebody he told about Jesus told somebody else who told somebody else who eventually told the person that told you. What if they had judged him and, 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 and talked bad about him? And No, they prayed for him. They prayed for him. Amen. 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 Don't let the devil trick you into disqualifying yourself from the blessings of God in your life, okay? Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you for helping us. Lord, thank you for speaking to us. Lord, I, I'm not here to be heavy-handed or, 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 or harsh or any of that, Lord, but these are important things for us. And it's, and it's something, Father, that you're showing me that the devil's using against your people. And I thank you that we're not ignorant of his, de of his devices and we, he will not have an advantage over us. And Lord, I thank you that you're showing us and helping us and prompting us and teaching us. And we receive it with humility in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, your love, thank you for being here. Man, what a beautiful group on a Wednesday evening. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. You be blessed. We love you. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you Sunday morning, not before. Remember communion. Can you believe it's first Sunday in October already this Sunday? Wow. You be blessed. We love you. Good things coming.